Uh, listen, we're in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, let me kind of catch you up to speed and what we're doing and, and why we're doing this. We're going through this book uh, for a lot of different reasons, man. It fits so appropriately today. Basically, Paul's argument in Colossians 1 and 2 is, look who Jesus is. Jesus is the preeminent one. Everything's about him, and it's made by him and for him. And here's who we are in light of Jesus. And he's walking through different cultural issues of their day. He's like, a lot of you are being persuaded through empty philosophy and ideas, and you're being taken, like really held captive by just secondary things. Do not lose sight of just Jesus and who he is, and don't ever think you graduate the gospel. Don't think the gospel's for those who aren't saved. The gospel's for those who've been walking with Jesus for 40, 50 years. The idea is you don't leave it. It's not like, okay, I've been there, done that. Like, you sit in the finished work of Jesus, and you walk out your salvation through that lens of who he is and what he's done. And, and so Colossians is so beautiful. Um, he's really now about like, what we're going to be reading. Chapter 3, it's kind of like the door where it hinges, and we're going to see him now go into some practical, like, here's now how to live. So this week a little bit, more next week, the week after, it's like, now, here's how you do family life. Here's how you do work life. Here's how you do life as a follower of Jesus. So he's been kind of like setting up of like, here's the, the indicatives. Here's who's you, who you are. This is a statement. You are this. You are in Christ, in him, in him, in him, that phrase over and over again. You're in him. And then he says, in light of, of who you are, now here's how you live. And again, this can happen in a church where maybe you come to church or you've come to church in different points in your life and you hear a bunch of rules like do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, and you hear the imperatives, but it's based off the indicatives. It's based off what Christ has already done for you. It's based off these statements that you are hidden in Christ, that your life is his. And so don't get lost as we start like now leaning into the next couple of weeks. Now here's how to live. It's based off because of what Christ has already done for you. And so there's no excuse to be like, sometimes we just want to live in the, um, here's what Jesus says about me, but we also have to move on to, now in light of that, here's how we live. We have to move into that. And, but we can't lose sight of the origin. We can't lose sight of just what that's based around. So Colossians is just, it's this beautiful argument Paul's making of, here's who you are in Christ. Now we're going to say, like, here's how you live and walk into this. If you're with us last week, uh, last week we did a teaching on, on chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, and it's basically on this perspective or this mindset we have. He says, set your mind on things above. Seek the things, uh, seek the things that are above. When Christ, who is our life, appears, you'll also appear with him in glory. It's just this very like heavenly perspective was what we looked at. But here's what we're going to do today. We are going to go back to that uh, for this reason. We're going to go back to verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, and we're going to look at through verse 11. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. I want to look at verse 1 through 4, not from this uh, heavenly mindset perspective, but he makes a lot of identity statements that I think are worth looking at again. So I focus more on the heavenly perspective, the mindset, the seek, the set, the different things he talked about. Now I want to look back at verse 1 through 4, just a little bit, not too much in depth, but just to see he's basing it off of our identity now in Christ. So... Uh, the title today, by the way, if you're taking out and care, uh, it's just a completely new life, a completely new life. He's saying, based off your identity, here's how you live. We have a completely new life. At least we're supposed to. A completely new life in Christ. Everything, when you've really encountered Jesus, is just, it's just different. And so the idea is like, hey, in light of who Jesus says you are, here's how you live. You have a new position, a new lifestyle. You have a new identity. And so I just want to look at that. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. We'll read it and we'll pray, and then we'll uh, look at it more in depth. All right, let's read it again. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things 
that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life or your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off, you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Dude, that's some good text. Hope I don't butcher it. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, we just want to say thank you so much. We thank you that you have not um, left us in the dark. We thank you that you've given us your word, and your word is a lamp unto our feet. And we ask that you would do that. You would light up our path, Lord, that you'd make it clear. Um, Jesus, I ask that if there's still the areas that I know that I am prone to wander, we are prone to wander. We are prone to darkness. But Jesus, we ask that we would confess that. We'd walk in the light as you are in the light. That Jesus, um, what you say about us, we would live in and embrace and that we just accept by your grace and by your faith, accept, Jesus, what it is you've done for us, and that we would do now what Paul is saying, put this to death. Um, I ask for that for my life, for our life here, God, as the church, the body, that this would not just be um, try harder, but Jesus, our life is hidden in you, and you have died, and you've been buried, and you rose again. And we thank you for baptism today. We thank you for how that truth is just still rings true, Lord, in our own, in our own faith. Even if we're not getting baptized, that we are, we are dead. We've been buried, but we are alive together with you. And so, Lord, I just ask that we'd put off and put on. Everything Paul describes here, Lord, that we would just walk in. So we just thank you, Jesus. We look to you now in your precious name. Amen. You know, obviously, there's a lot of books and a lot of writings and a lot of ideas on how to change. You can pick up, probably go to any bookstore right now. It's like, how to change or how to have a better life. And here's a few things. The Bible actually, I think people steal certain ideas or concepts from the Bible. One of the main ways in how to change is um, it's based off our identity. So the idea is um, your identity is rooted in something, and the best way to change is probably a perspective shift of your identity. So stay with me on this. When it comes to our, our, our identity, uh, maybe how you view yourself, how maybe you think or perceive others view you, what you want to like live for, what your life is about, your identity is rooted in some type of story. So our identity is rooted, and many times it's rooted in what people maybe have said about me, have done to me, what I see, an accumulation of like what I take in on social media, a lot of times our identity is rooted in a story. And you, th you do think about this just practically in your own life, like what your experiences, what you walk through from childhood to your teenage years to your like young adult to adulthood, like you think about who you are and what, what makes you you. A lot of times and most of the time, it's rooted, it's, just, it's rooted in a story. You know, it's that I've talked to a lot of people over the years and they, they heard something said about them and that, that phrase has become their identity. 
So they heard this story about them, and that's just now who they are. Well, my dad said I was always this. My mom, my friend, my coach, my teacher, I would never be this. I would never live up to that. And so sometimes your story, you adopt a story that someone else gave you, and that is the identity you're living into. This can happen too, where maybe you hear someone say that, and you're like, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to write my own story, and I'm going to do the opposite. They said, I'll never, I'm going to make something of myself, and you try to tell yourself a new story. The idea is, and I think if we were all honest, because sometimes I, I hear this uh, shift of language towards Christians, like, you Christians are so weak-minded, it's so pathetic, it's almost like you need this crutch of Christianity, you need this story to make you feel better. It's like, hey, you are also believing a story in which gives you identity. You also are believing a story which tells you who you are. Don't act like it's a Christian. So here's the idea for us, though. We're saying our story is not rooted in our experiences, our past failures, our successes, our story is rooted in another story, and this is so important. So my identity is not rooted in what people have done to me or said to me, what I have done, what I've accomplished or failed at, but here's the thing. The reality is that does play into my daily life, and I have to remind myself daily, uh, my identity is not rooted in my story. It's rooted in another story, in his story. So the idea is our, our identity in Christ, our identity is rooted in his story. This will change everything. It really will. I think Paul, what he's trying to get to for us is saying, stop finding your identity based off what culture says you should feel, what you should think, what you should do, how you should act. Don't you realize that you're this and you should feel this way about this person, that group? We so often base our story, like we adopt a story from someone else. I want to encourage you today to adopt a better story. You are adopting a story. We can't be, all of us adopt a story we either gave ourselves someone else gave us i love that there's a god who says i want you to adopt a better story that will give you a rich and meaningful identity i cannot stress this enough because paul is basically right in saying here's how you live but it's rooted in a story so i i just i, don't, I almost can't move on from that i want us to really sit in that for a little bit some of you are believing a lie right now and that is becoming your identity some of you, gave, some gave you this story, and you think, well, I guess this is who I'm always going to be. I guess this is who I am now. And you're rooting your identity in a, a story that will never meet the deepest needs of your heart. And so Paul's saying, I want you to, you're going to root your identity in something. Root your identity in another story, in a better story. I love how Tim Keller says this. He says, our, or he says if our identity is in our work, Rather than Christ, success will go to our heads and failure will go to our hearts. So it's crazy how like whether you have success or it just it does something to you regardless. And it's like, but there's another option. It's not about your story. It's never been about your story. So this is what I want to look at. I think there's power in finding your identity rooted in another story. So what Paul is saying in Colossians 3, verse 1 through 11, uh, how we're going to break down our text and look at it today, and I'm, I'm going to try to you know, build off a little bit of last week, but here's the idea. Three points. We have a new identity, a new lifestyle, and a new position. A new identity, a new lifestyle, a new position. All right? So we looked at this heavenly mindset, but he said some phrases that are like really identity-based. So uh, look again at verse 3. Verse 3, he says this way, For you have died... You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is an incredible like, identity statement. You're dead. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
you know, it's interesting. Um, uh, sometimes my kids will like play hide and seek or tag or, or whatever. I don't know, different things. And you know, I have an eight-year-old son, four-year-old daughter, and there are times where uh, after they play maybe a few games, my daughter like will come to me and like, where should I hide? And sometimes I'll be like, I'll, hi I'll hide you. And after a while, my son gets mad, like, where are you? He yells like, baby, like, baby. That's what he calls me, like, baby, where are you? He's like yelling for her and he wants her. Where are you? And I'm like, you know, and I, I hit her and I know where she is. And it's like, you want to get to her, you like go through me, right? There's almost a thought of like, she, I hid her. She's hidden. You're not going to get to her because she's hidden. And like, I hit her wherever I put her. Don't worry about it. But this idea of like, I love this thought of like, you are hid. Your life is hidden with Christ. It's like, it's like, if you want to, if someone wants to find you, you have to go through Christ. I want to, where's this person at? Where's the, you've changed. Like, where are you? It's hidden. It's in Christ. It's with Christ in God. What's, it's in a beautiful identity statement he, he gives over us. He literally says this, when Christ who is your life appears. Just that phrase. When Christ, Christ who is your life. He's like, this is your identity. Christ is your life. So the identity statement, that, we, that story we kind of tether ourselves to is, um, I am not my own. I belong to another, to him who is raised from the dead. So my life is hidden in, with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, we looked at last week, like Christ has to be your life. When he says you'll also appear with him in glory, that's only if Christ is your life. But he says when Christ, who is our life, appears. So there's this idea that that, that is now where you're hidden, that's where you're at. Um, so the idea of Christ, your life, this sets us free from a few different things. It sets us free from like when you do fail and you just feel like garbage and you just feel like, could God have ever accepted me anyways? Do the same thing on repeat over and over again. Or when you succeed and you feel really good about yourself and then you look down on others and you're like, I can't believe they haven't done what I've done. It, it sets you free from both of those things. This snobbery that can happen when you do well, this looking down when you do well, it can set you free from the sense of like failure of like, gosh, am I ever going to get it right? He's basically saying your life is hidden in Christ and you are set free. It is completely different. I love what Ed Stetzer says. He said, um, Christi Christianity isn't turning over a new leaf. It's receiving a new leaf. <laughs> it's not you must do. It's Jesus already did. I love that. It's not turning over a new leaf. You just, here's, a, here's a new leaf. You have a new life. Your life is in Christ. Your life is in God. So there are these like identity statements. So it's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. We know this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things become new. This is what I'm trying to describe when I'm saying this identity. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation. Just, that's, just, that's just what you are. The old things have passed away. Even if you don't feel that, it doesn't matter. Like you have a new resume. I, I haven't done this in a while, but I remember like my, one of my first like a job interviews. Um, <laughs> so pathetic. I remember I was like 18 trying to go work at 24 Hour Fitness. Don't judge me. All right. But I remember going to work at 24 Hour Fitness and I, I don't know, I didn't own a suit. I literally bought this big old fat suit, like 2006, like this massive suit. I look like a baby face. I'm like, hello, I'd like to interview. I so pathetic. Just felt so, I felt so inadequate. I felt like, what am I doing? Um, and I remember like sitting down there having my interview. And the part of that process, you know, is like you're trying to prove yourself. Like I am worthy to be hired here. I'm worthy of this position. Like what you need, I can offer at 18 years old. And it, whatever that position is or however that looks, there is that sense of like, I fulfill your standard of righteousness. That's like the idea of a resume. You have a standard of righteousness and I can fulfill it. And the reality is, I, I love this with God, like no, no resume could ever fulfill the standard of righteousness. It's just nothing. No, no one's been like, oh wow, look at you have done it. You've kept the law. Six hundred. Like, no, there's no one who fulfills the standard of righteousness. The idea is, wow, 
His resume is now right, my resume. So it's like, I'm accepted, I'm loved, I'm embraced by God because he fulfilled that. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. And it's hard to like, I don't know, it's hard to communicate this. In some ways, you just have to like, in a sense, receive that. Just like set aside your resume. How good it is or how terrible it is. Stop living by your resume. Stop living by like, okay, look what I've accomplished or haven't accomplished. Like, it doesn't matter. Your life is hidden. That word hidden just um, means, I love this, it said, uh, just means hide in a safe place. I love that. It's, hid, it's, it's in a safe place, man. You know, in his hands, it's, it's in a safe place. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life, when Christ who is your life appears. Um, there's a lot of stuff that writes about this idea of like identity. And uh, here's the thing, because Paul's gonna say now, we're gonna get to this soon. Paul's gonna say now, therefore, put to death, mortify the flesh. Different versions, translations. He's gonna say now, you need to put this to death, but we can't get there if we don't understand it's based off our, these identity statements. So um, I, maybe you read this book, but you've heard it. I, I really enjoyed the book like a year or two ago, uh, James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. There's a lot of books like that out there. But here's one of the things he wrote I thought that was really helpful. He wrote about um, our identity-based versus outcome-based ha- habits. So like, bear with me. Identity-based versus outcome-based habits, right? This is nothing crazy profound, but it's, it's just helpful. His example that he gives and that he writes about is the idea of, like, let's say you, you are a smoker. You, you've been smoking your whole life, or you, you've been drinking your whole life, or fill in the blank. That's just what you've been doing. And let's say you're trying to quit. And someone asks you, hey, do you smoke? Are you a smoker? And he basically says, those who say, well, I'm trying to quit. Or do you drink? I'm trying to quit. Usually those are the people that don't succeed. Because they're saying, well, I'm making this outcome-based effort. I'm trying. It's like, is that, that, that's usually the least successful group. And someone's like, are you a smoker? And there's someone who says, no, I am not a smoker. No, I am not a drinker. Like, no, that's not my identity. So they're basically answering in a way where they're saying, no, I am not that. And someone's like, are you a follower of Jesus? I'm trying to follow Jesus. No, Mm-mm. that's not how it works. Are you, a follow- are you in Christ? I'm in Christ, yes. You're a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things become new. Have you believed on Jesus, received Jesus, said, here's a free gift, it's Christmas morning, and the gift is there, and you're like, I just open it and receive it? Yeah. I don't know if I give you money for this. Nope. If I, what happens if I just leave it there? Then you left it there. You must receive it. You must open it. Enjoy it. And so the idea is not, are you trying to be? Are you? And so I love how Clear talks about that. He goes, it's identity-based versus outcome-based habits. Those who have this identity, there's usually ch- radical change. And I, I think the idea is this is way more Christian than we realize. God is saying, here's what I say about you. It doesn't matter what you feel or think or say. I say this over you. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you'll also appear with him in glory. It's like, well, I hope. I'm trying. To quote Yoda, I think he says this. You either are or not. There is no try. I don't know. I think he said something like that. <laughs> but that is the idea. Um, the way that I want to kind of lead into the next is like our identity shapes our lifestyle, right? Our identity shapes our lifestyle. So th- this is so important because next week, the week after, you know, don't lose sight of this. Don't like, Josiah's given us a lot of to-dos. No, Paul's eventually moving into like, now here's how you live. But again, it's rooted in verse one through four. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. And so as you hear some now, like, now walk in these things. Now put on these things. Now put off these things. You have to realize it's based off these statements that God says about you. We're clear, clear on that, right? Uh, so here's one thing I try to write out. Maybe it's helpful. Maybe it's not. Our sin does not negate our identity. Our identity in Christ negates our sin. So I do feel like the first part, our sin does negate our identity. Sometimes I feel like when I sin, I'm like, oh, gosh, well, that's it. 
It's over. But our identity in Christ, that negates our sin. Just you're in Christ. Is that an excuse to go on to continue to, to live in sin? God forbid. How could we who are dead to sin live any longer? He's like, no, this grace, this is a transformational work in you. Uh, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should, live, let, we should live righteously, sober, and godly in this present age, Titus 2, 13. It's like this idea that, okay, this grace teaches, this grace transforms. So your identity, number one, you have a new identity in Christ. In light of this new identity, in light of your, your life being hidden with Christ in God, there is a new lifestyle in which we live. So can we look at verse 5? Let's just read verse 5 through 10 now. So he says, so therefore, and it depends on what your translation is, but put to death, therefore, therefore, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And these you two once walked when you were living in them. He's talking to Christians here. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Um, let's stop there. So here's the idea. He goes, put to death, therefore. Therefore, in light of your identity, in light of what God says about you, therefore, put to death. He says, remember, set your mind on heavenly things. Put to death the earthly things. Now, I want to kind of give context even to this. This is so radical, I think, to Paul's kind of Greek, Roman, Jewish culture mix that he's in. Um, you, you do think about, like, okay, back then, this day, whatever God, name the God you worship, name the pagan God, name Caesar, whatever, whoever it is or whatever it is you worship. You sin, you mess up. I'm going to go to this temple dedicated specifically to this God. I'm going to make some sort of atonement for my sins. I'm going to maybe, you know, give some money or shed some blood. Depends on which God you worship and how they want atonement. So in Paul's day, he still dealt with this like polytheistic culture. We're like, okay, let me now go and try to atone for my sins. And then the idea was, look it, I made, I made good, right? Now let me just go back immediately to what I was doing. And everyone did that. It's very common. It's kind of like, we all, we all know the game here, right? We mess up. We go to that God. We pay him off, essentially, and then we kind of go back to what we're doing. And there wasn't like a standard of holiness from any of those gods. Paul's like, do you understand this is different? Being a follower of Jesus, the Yeshua, he's the final sacrifice. He's the final atonement. You're not going to go to God and be like, let me pay God off now by me either offering a sacrifice or me maybe making some sort of donation. That's not how it works here. This God actually requires now a way in which we live to be to his standard. So you're going to like, therefore, in light of who Jesus is, in light of what he's done for you, it's not like you're a pagan Roman or Greek God. We're like, okay, we all know how this works. We pay off our God. We do something. And then we go back to our living the way we want to live. He was not so in Christ. And this is different. This is challenging. This is frustrating. This is not an attractive thing. If you would imagine this day, it's more attractive to be like, I kind of like the pay off the God thing and going back to how, what we're doing. You'd imagine that would be more attractive. This is way harder in their perspective. And his whole point is, don't forget what he's tying this to. You have died, he said. So he's actually pointing back to what he said earlier in the statement, for you have died and your life is in with Christ. He says, therefore, put to death. You're already dead. Should be put to death. This God does require. He looks at you and says, no, I've died for you. I took your place. It's not about what you do. Your works do not save you by any means, but my saving grace will transform you to live like my son Jesus.
Will you fail? Of course you will fail. But I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to be with you and in you. And yes, you will fail. But yes, there will be more and more victories over time as you really kind of focus, as verse 10 talks about, the image of our creator. As we take in Jesus, as we look at Jesus, there will be these more and more victories in our life. So I, I want to point this out because here's the idea. I think we can all relate to this. We go, um, he says, and once you, and once you walked. Maybe you're like, I think I believe in Jesus, but I still walk in these things. Maybe you read this and go, this is kind of, man, this is a sobering verse. Put to death, therefore, my earthly desires. Put this to death. Maybe Paul named your sin. Maybe you read this and you go, oh, man, sexual immorality, impurity, evil desire, covetousness. Maybe Paul named your sin. Like, I don't like that one, Paul. Okay, take that back off the list. And Paul's saying, hey, this is when, in what you once walked. You, you, as a Christian, fight to put this to death. You, your life is hidden with Christ and God. He died on the cross for your sins, and you are in him. And so, yes, like your life is over. It's dead. You're allowing life to Christ. But there's this weird thing happening that Romans 7, I think, adds a lot more light on, right? The Romans 7 argument, Paul's like, hey, the, does anyone feel this way? The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, that's what I'm doing. And then Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And so Paul acknowledges there's this weird thing that happens. Like when you are born again, you have a new nature. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have a new nature in you. But we are still in this body of death, as Paul says. So I have this old Josiah, old nature, and I have this new creation, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And the idea is, yes, not until I see Jesus, 1 John 3 says, when we see him, we'll be like him. But right now, but right now, man, there's a battle, right? And that's for every Christian. Right now, there's this battle going on in you, in your heart. And this idea of put this, this old self to death. So there is still that Josiah that I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to be dead. My position in Christ, that's positionally accurate. Positionally, I'm dead. Positionally, I'm in Christ. Absolutely. Practically, I'm still a filthy sinner. So this idea, scripturally speaking, of positional with practical. Positionally, you're in Christ. You're dead. But you're like, I still have these two natures. And I'm so thankful Paul writes Romans 7 to, to like shine some light on this. He's like, you're right. There is this weird battle going on. So here's what I would describe in this way. Put it to death. And when Paul says this, actually in 1 Corinthians 15, I think around 33, he says, I die daily. So I love this. Paul's like acknowledges, he goes, you know what? There's this weird battle thing going on, and daily I have to put that thing to, to death. Daily, like old Paul, old Josiah, old name, whatever, rises up and is like, hey, this spirit in me, I don't like this. I want it to overtake you. And the spirit in you, and Paul's saying, no, no, feed your spirit and then kill and starve and murder that flesh. He goes, put to death the earthly desires. So you've probably heard that phrase in some ways, but it's absolutely true. It's how do I starve my flesh and feed my spirit? What you starve dies, what you feed grows. And that's just a, that's just a beautiful, simple truth in just general, right? All my friends out there who have houseplants, what you starve dies, <laughs> what you feed grows. If you have any, name the analogy, you can just, you can figure that out. But the idea is like, okay, if I feed this thing, it will grow. If I starve this thing, it will die. It's almost like cancer cells, too, in the sense where you're like, okay, they're dying off, but then I give a little bit, I went back, I give a little bit of sugar, and they sort of come alive again and replicate. And this idea of your flesh and your spirit, it's like, oh, I'm pretty sure they died off. And then, like, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little, and it's like, oh, it just reignites it. You're like, I thought I was over this. I thought this was done. And Paul is saying here in other passages, this is a daily battle. He says, I die daily. Jesus said, pick up the cross and follow me daily. So this is not like a, I think I did this years ago, Josiah, what you're, you're preaching. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. This is a daily thing that we're all prone to, daily thing we all have to fight for. Okay. So Paul says, in light of who you are, in light of what Christ has done, 
put this part of you to death, your flesh, your earthly passions and desires. It's not necessarily a need for like I we could like I tried to we can walk through one by one, but he basically names like sex and greed initially. His anger, wrath, malice. He starts off and says, There's sexual brokenness and desires in you, there's greed in you. He goes, In Christ, you have to the the part of this battle is saying, I'm gonna put that to death and say, Okay, God, you created sex. You created this beautiful thing. How do you want me to use it? How do I use it for your goodness, for your glory? God is not some cosmic killjoy trying to steal fun. God invented it, okay? We understand. God created it. God's like, okay, I created it, and I know that there will be fullness of joy if you use it the way I intended you to use it. And so we have to understand that first and foremost, but the idea was back then and still today, if you have a desire, just give into it. If you have a desire, don't deny yourself. Just do it. Paul said, no, you put that part of you to death, and that's a daily thing. And it's not an easy thing. And I don't, I don't want to diminish that. Because like, so we're good now, guys? No, like, no, that's why we have accountability and groups and we talk and do life and we try to like do this together because this is not an easy battle. There is this battle of flesh and spirit that's in me, that's in you, that's in all of us. And we do need those people to say, hey, how are you doing between the battle of flesh and spirit? Which one are you feeding more? What, what's winning? What's losing? How can I help you? So I hope you hear this. This is not like Paul just giving some like, okay, guys, we're good now. I, I wrote the verse in the Bible. Everyone gets it. It's like, no, this is like what the New Testament just goes on and on about this battle, this battle between the flesh and the spirit. And it's like, this is a constant ongoing thing. And don't try to do this alone. And don't try to do this in isolation. Put it, put it to, to death together. Like, do it together. There's this idea of like, we got to walk through this on a daily basis. So what I'm trying, my hope is being communicated. He said, hey, I understand the Greek and Roman world. Whatever you felt like doing, you just automatically did. Is that in a game right now? It's like Alex Trebek. Um, but the idea is like, whatever you feel like doing, you just did it. I actually want to point this out. I think this is actually really interesting. Tim Keller wrote about this um, years ago, and I think he's spot on. He says, listen to this. We'll put up here. The early church, that quote. He says, the early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body. And they gave practically everybody their money. Do you see what the gospel does? It radically changed everything. I'm stingy with money as a pagan, but I'm liberal with my body. Do whatever you want. He's like, understand when Jesus came in and started changing and shaping lives, actually what happened is they got incredibly generous. Like, yeah, like we're, Jesus gave, we're going to give. God so love he gave. We're going to love, we're going to give. And there's a crazy generosity thing happening in the church. The church is radically known for that. Read Acts. It's radically known for generosity. And then they're like, and, but I'm going to be stingy with my body now. My body is, this is holy. Money's not holy. So the whole point is like, you read that, you go, pagans viewed money as holy and their body not as holy. And Christians go, no, no, your body's holy, man. It's been bought at a price. M- money's not holy. And so like, I'm going to give this unto the Lord. I'm going to do this for the Lord. It's fine. There was such a radical change that happened. Now, the, the point though is like, how do we do this? It has to be rooted in your identity. You have to view it now as, okay, like my life is hidden with Christ and God. There's a lot of ideas, and, and so if, I, if I'm going to try to pr- talk through this practically, um, this has been helpful for me, and I think a lot of people wrote about it in different ways and use different words, but I want to try to explain this. The way we can actually hopefully put to death those things, and the, ho- the way we can hopefully walk in newness of life, one is just this. It's simple, but it's just radically true. It's repentance, okay? It's repentance. If you're like, I actually want to like experience this. I actually like, want to feed my spirit more than my flesh. Okay, repentance is going to be key to successful Christian living. This is just it. It's going to be key. So, but here's the difference. I, I d- then and still do struggle with maybe true repentance and like false repentance. And I love how different authors describe it. I'm going to put it up here as self-pity versus like true repentance. So there's self-pity and there's true repentance. So meaning, just think through this. 
there are times you blow it, maybe as a follower of Jesus. Maybe not. Maybe you're not even a follower of Jesus, and you're like, I actually, I still can relate because I still feel this feeling. But maybe you, what you're really experiencing after you mess up, you blow it, you're actually experiencing self-pity, not repentance. And here's what that usually looks like. It's usually like this idea of, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that again. I'm so stupid. It turns into like shame. I'm, this, ugh, I'm an idiot. Eventually, you kind of still move on to the thought of like, I actually hate the consequences of this. You don't really hate the thing yet. You just hate the consequences that comes with it. You hate the way it makes you feel. You kind of hate those thoughts that come into your mind immediately after. And you think because you hate how you feel, you think that's repentance. When in reality, that's probably more like this self-pity thing. There's a lot of other ways you could say that maybe it's, you know, worldly sorrow. There's other ways you could describe it, but you have this feeling of like this false kind of conviction of like, I just don't like how I feel. I thought I was better than this. It's because you have a high view of yourself. I thought I was better than this. I thought I was beyond this. And so you kind of hate the feeling and you hate the consequence and you hate some of the things around it, but you still don't hate the thing. You don't hate the sin yet. And so you kind of have maybe get frustrated and like, God, oh, I don't know. Then usually repentance, what, what it can do so often within your heart is a sense of, Lord, you've been so good to me. You've been so kind. You've been so loving. Like, what am I? I'm not, it's not that like I'm afraid of, of you as much as I, I don't, I don't want to do this to our friendship. Like, I love you. And it's like, I, I hate, I hate what this does. I hate the sin. And I hate this idea of feeling disconnected from you. And it's, it's just, it sounds so maybe minute, but it just feels like there's a difference a little bit of like what you're beginning to hate, what you're beginning to like spend time like sitting in. And when he says, put to death, therefore, these things, I think there's something different in you. Because like, you, we will all be there. And I think I've sat a lot in self-pity and not true repentance. Not true brokenness of like, God, oh my, like, I love you. I don't want to ruin this beautiful thing I have with you. You know, there's a guy named, um, uh, what's his name? Stephen Charnock, old school guy a few hundred years ago. He's going to use some old English words. And I'm going to try to break it down, but I thought it was really good. He says, illegally, so he's talking about like um, legalism versus like true repentance. So legal, he's going to say it in a weird way, but just bear with me. He says, a legally convinced person cries out, I have provoked one that is the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth whose word can tear up the foundation of the world. It's true. <laughs> but an evangelically convinced person cries, I have offended a God that had his hands stretched out to me as a friend. My heart must be made of marble. My heart must be made of iron to throw his blood in his face. Listen, I mean, the first part is weird. There is, Hebrews talks about it. It is a fearful, th a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There's a sense of like, oh my gosh, Lord, like you are holy, I am not. And there's, I think, a holy reverence of fear. I don't want to diminish in this. But there's such a different thing of like, I have a friend in Jesus thing. Where you're like, you're my friend. Why am I through? You've shed your blood for my freedom, for my forgiveness. And I'm just, I don't want to throw it in your face. I don't want to ruin this beautiful thing that's happening, Lord. It's different. I love how one author describes that feeling. He goes, it's like going to Mount Sinai versus Mount Calvary. Mount Sinai, when the law was given, it's like this idea of like fear and thunder, the mountains quaking, and everyone's hiding. You remember like only Moses is there receiving the law. Mount Sinai, the law is given, man. Mount Sinai is the fearful thing, the crazy thing. People are doing crazy things down below. Moses is like, what are you doing? Then 3,000 die that day. I mean, that's Mount Sinai. So sometimes when we repent, fake repentance is we're like, we're going to Mount Sinai. We're like, oh, God's so scary and intimidating. And it's, it's like, there should be a holy reverence, absolutely. But there's also Mount Calvary. And it's different than this fear, like this thing, like, oh my gosh, like God's gonna strike me down dead. It's like, oh my gosh, there's my friend who died for me. My friend who gave his life for me. Why, do I, why would I, I don't wanna ruin that. So I think like sometimes we go to, we repent still like it's Mount Sinai. 
I broke the law. There's going to be death. Well, no, no, I broke the law. There is death. He died. Why am I doing that? Why am I continuing that? It's just, it, it may seem small, but it's, I do think it's incredibly nuanced. It's incredibly beautiful. It changes like, oh, Lord, I don't want to do this because of, like, I'm afraid of uh, the consequences. It's because I don't want to ruin, like, what you've been doing in me. And I love you, Lord. And I'm, I don't want to, I'm, th- I'm just so gracious. I'm so thankful for you. I don't want to be hard-hearted towards you. I think the point of me bringing this up or spending time in this thought is you're going, okay, in light of who you are in Christ, put to death, therefore, and he names these things. You're like, how do I put this to death? A couple thoughts again. Remember, what you feed grows, what you starve dies. That's just true. Okay, so feed the spirit. Yes. Put to death your flesh. Yes. Okay, but what happens when you still sin? Don't spend time in self-pity. Spend time in true repentance. Spend some time in like, Lord, I love you. And I'm sorry. Thank you for Mount Calvary. And I want to walk in newness of life. And when I fail, I just want to go back to Calvary, not Sinai. I'm going to go back to what you've done for me. This is just the idea that's being communicated. Put to death. Put this to death, therefore, in light of who he is and what he's done. And if you would, look at verse 8, because you're like, okay, I'm glad you skipped that part. Uh, but we're not. Verse 8. But now you must put them all away. <laughs> Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obs- obscene talk from your mouth. New King James says filthy language from your mouth. Like, isn't that someone else? Um, verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. I think that has been like the key. If you look at verse 10, it's easy to, don't just read the Bible like quickly. Read it like, I would say like, I don't know, thoughtfully. He says, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So man, the idea is like take in the person of Jesus, the knowledge of your creator, the image, focus on Jesus so that a big part of what he's saying, I think in closing out in verse 10, he's like, in light of this, listen, stop focusing on your sin and start focusing on your Savior, the image of the knowledge of God. Because I think what can happen is I can focus on my sin and just be Eeyore for months. <laughs> you know, I can focus on my sin and just be like, well, nothing's going to change and like just be awful. Or I can like actually focus on my Savior and go, thank you, Jesus, for what you've accomplished and done. And yes, my sin is great, but my Savior's greater. And there's such a difference when you kind of go, yes, thank you, Lord. I'm going to focus on the knowledge, the image of my Creator. But in essence, put this to death. He goes from like the sexual, the greed, to slander. He talks about your tongue. It's more relational now. Your tongue and how you speak and obscene talk and this. And that. He's like, put this to all the, that's, that's the old you. That's the old practices. He's like, you have new practices. So again, it's crazy because like we do have muscle memory sometimes and we'll go back to the old practices. And what we're trying to do here at church is create new practices and new muscle memory. And like, okay, I want to get used to worship and repentance and confession and accountability. I have some pretty terrible muscle memory that brings up some old stuff. And I, we're trying to now put on some new practices, some new muscle memory. And I think that's the idea. It's like, yeah, let's walk in that now. Like, yeah, let's try that out. Put off these old practices, put on the, these new ones. And, here, and if you don't know the image of the knowledge of your creator, that's like worship. It's essentially, when you read verse 10, how do I do that? Just worship. Bring the person of Jesus to the center point of your mind, your heart, your life. It's David in Psalm 27. I've always set the Lord before me. Huh? I'm always, Lord, my sin's before me. I'm gonna put you before that. Like my sins, ah, they haunt me. I set the Lord though before me. My eyes are on you. And I think this is what he's, he's getting at. The way to put this to death is by the image and the knowledge of your creator. It's, it's worship. It's confession. It's scripture reading. It's prayer. It's saying, I'm going to bring Jesus to the forefront of my mind. You guys with me on this? Because listen, I get it. I get it. Like, so this is easier said than done. I know. That's not an excuse to not do it. That's not an excuse to not starve your flesh and feed your spirit. To walk in true repentance with other people. To say, I'm going to worship and bring the knowledge of my creator at the forefront of my mind. So here's what he's saying. You have a new identity. Now you have a new lifestyle. And so take on some new muscle memory. Take on some new habits, some new patterns in light of who you are. And then he, I love verse 11. We'll end with number three. So we have a new identity, new lifestyle. Number three is this, a new position. 
Verse 11, dude, let's just read it. He says, here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. You know, Paul's known for doing this, and I, I love this. He's like, let's just summarize what we're doing here. If you haven't caught this yet, and I'll probably explain this more next week, even though today's Baptism Sunday, he's really using the imagery of baptism because it's like put off, put on, and uh, it's, I know, the timing was really close. Um, but we'll do it a little bit today. He's like, put off, this off, put on this. It's almost like the garments. Like, I'm putting off my old clothes, baptism back then. I'm putting on new clothes, like afterwards. Like, I, as a symbol, it's like now I'm walking the newness of life. And, and so, and hey, hey, you need to understand this that in Christ, who you are, all of those barriers that we create, isn't it fascinating that we're in the weirdest moment of history where like, let's kind of bring back barriers and segregation. Like what? Most idiotic, like we're trying to bring back barriers. How can we separate people more? We're trying to do that. And Paul's like, yo, there's no barriers in Christ. We'll put this up here. This is so cool to me. Um, you'll see this way. Racial barriers fall. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Greek just meant everything other than Jew. Religious barriers, circumcised or uncircumcised, those religious barriers are gone. Cultural barriers, barbarian, Scythian, that doesn't matter. Those cultural barriers. Social barriers, slave or free. Do you see this, this idea? He says, hey, in Christ, those barriers, racial, religious, cultural, social, in Christ, those barriers just fall, man. I love what Paul describes in Galatians. He goes, why are you trying to rebuild which Christ has torn down? He literally like, is almost like describing, you know, uh, Joshua and Jericho. It's like, I tore those walls down. Why rebuild Jericho? I tore the, those walls are fallen. The walls that we built up in our just modern world, I tore those down 2,000 years ago. Why are you trying to rebuild those walls? Don't, I love this, man. I love that I can go anywhere in the world, meet a follower of Jesus, and like, yo, why do I feel like I have a lot in common with you? <laughs> like an insane amount. He is, we're all one in Christ. Christ is all and in all. Because he's the head. It's all about him. I want to end with this verse and um, just a time to respond maybe with us, not necessarily in worship, but just a time to respond quietly with the Lord. Here's what Paul says in Galatians 3, very similarly, but I want to see the big picture again with baptism. He says, for you, listen, you, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. I love this. You've been baptized into Christ and put on Christ. So the thing that you're known for is not the outward thing it's not the cultural burial, the racial burial. The thing we're known for is I put on Christ and you put on Christ. Like you put on Christ, I put on Christ. Yeah, we have the same outfit, the same look, a better culture, better everything. There's, all these barriers are wiped out. Why rebuild what God has torn down? I love this. I love what we have in Christ. I love that for 2,000 years, Christians have been gathering all over the planet, being baptized into water and saying, I'm identifying with Christ as death, burial, and resurrection. So I'm identifying with Christ and with the other believers for the last couple thousand years. So I get to identify with the church all over the globe. I have way more connections all over the globe than anyone else. Like we do when you're in Christ because we've all been baptized and we walk in this newest life. We put on Christ. If you've been baptized into Christ, Galatians 3, put on Christ. Put him on, walk in him, walk in the newness of life, like Romans 6 says. Now walk in that. Listen, in Jesus, you have a new identity, a new lifestyle, and a new position. You're all one in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
What else could do this? What else could wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing else could do this. I just want to end with just a time of just response really quick. Would you guys mind standing? Just if you would, just quietly bow your head, close your eyes like we started service with. If you want to do this, just in a posture uh, with hands open, just to receive. With a heart posture of saying, Lord, I want to receive. If you would, just briefly pray this like simple prayer of, Lord, I want to receive what it is you have for me. And so, Father, I just ask that you, Jesus, would remind us of who we are in you that the old things have passed away and all things have become new. When Satan tries to remind us of our past, we ask Jesus that we rest in your past, in your present, in your future, that who you are is what defines us, that we have a better story. We have your story. That we, Jesus, right now are going to stop adopting the world's story and stop adopting what they say about us or how we should feel, and we just want to embrace your story, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you lived humbly, sacrificially, but you are God in the flesh who took on the sin of the world so that my sin could be removed and I could have your righteousness placed on me, that we are clothed in your righteousness. And I ask for everyone in this room with not just hands open, Lord, just we ask that our heart would be open to receive your Holy Spirit today that this would not just be a baptism with water, but with your spirit. We ask this not just for those who are in the water, for all of us, Lord. We ask that, Jesus, you would just fill us with your spirit, that we walk in this newness of life, that we are one in you, Jesus. Lord, the enemy's words, again, that have no more room in our hearts or our minds, and that you just set us free, and we are free indeed, and we just want to walk in that position now, Lord. So we thank you, God. God, I ask for marriages, I ask for families, I ask for people who've been just playing and flirting with sin and that they, they have not made you their life. It's only been in word only that, Jesus, you would be their life today, that they would not just experience self-pity, but true repentance, Jesus, that they have a friend in you, Jesus, that they have a beautiful friend and that they would enjoy you in this way. So, Lord, we love you, we thank you, we look to you and want to praise you now in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.